People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Welcome to Premier League Insights. We've done our outright preview and now it's time to get into the fixtures. Game week one isn't far away and Jake Osgathorpe is here to help me run through the fixtures and find our listeners some early season value. Everything good, Jake? Are you you ready and raring to go? Yeah, ready and raring. I mean, it's not so long ago that the last season finished. Definitely a shorter period than, than what we used to, but... Yeah, looking forward to getting stuck in. Obviously, three new teams into the Premier League and expecting a very competitive season once again. Well, actually, before we get into the fixtures, we've actually got a little announcement, a little update. If anyone listened to the the podcast last year, something a little new and fresh to to maybe make things a little bit more exciting. What we're what we're going to do this year is we're going to let InfoGoal pick your highlight game as it were which is where you you see the most value for the the game week fixtures and then we're also going to have a a pinnacle highlight game where um, pinnacle puts forward a a game where each of us have to make a selection and and on both of those one for the the info goal game one for the pinnacle game we have to put forward our our predictions or or what we think might happen and and we're gonna have a bit of fun and put 10 euro 10 dollars whatever it is flat staking on the selections and we'll Week by week, we'll have to see and, and track how things go and, and see how we get on. Are you are you up for that, Jake? How do you feel about that? Yeah, definitely up for it. Um, it's going to be quite tough. Obviously, we've got a slate of 10 games. There's quite a few decent value bets knocking around. So trying to narrow it down to one is, is going to be tough week in, week out. But yeah, let's give it a go. And, um, you know, the model... I think it was pretty prof- profitable last year in terms of the, you know, the value and, and the verdict. So hopefully we can repeat that this time. Well, time will tell. Let's see how we get on. We'll get straight into it with Fulham versus Arsenal. It's our our first game of the 2020-21 season. Um, features obviously one of the newly promoted sides. They host Arsenal, who, as anyone who listened to the podcast last season will know, were consistently overestimated by the market. A real poor showing from them throughout the season. They did manage to get eighth in the end, but I think really it was a season worthy of a place in the bottom half, judging by their their underlying process. You said in our in our outright preview they had some cup success thanks to a little bit of good fortune, and perhaps again we're going to see that paper over the cracks a little bit, and the the reputation kind of exceed the performances that we see from Arsenal. Um, in terms of the betting market. Pinnacle actually has them pretty short. Arsenal, that is, at 1.574. So that gives them a 60% chance of the win. Fulham a 5.85, so an 18% chance for them. And you can get 4.45 for the draw. Um, the total perhaps isn't as high as people might expect at 2.5 and 3. And, and betters are certainly buying into the over. And that's currently priced at 1.917. Right, Jake, do we start where we left off? Is the value going to be going against Arsenal here at such a short price? Um, it is, yeah. Uh, I'm absolutely baffled at the price that Arsenal are currently going off at. Anything below even money for me is is a really short price for for Arsenal away from home. I mean, you know, if you just look at raw results from last season away from home, they won just four times out of the 19 away matches. So, you know, to have them going off so short is is baffling. And then you factor in the fact that their underlying process 
even when Mikel Arteta took over, was was equally as bad. They ranked as the 13th best team since Arteta took charge um, with a process that wasn't really much improved on, on the previous reign under Unai Emery. 1.3 expected goals for, 1.7 expected goals against per game is what they averaged under Mikel Arteta last season. Um, and yeah, over, overall, playing away from home, like I said, four wins in 19, um, an expect, expected goal difference of minus four, which had them around ninth um, in the away XG table. So yeah, I really can't have them um, at that price. I think it is way too short. The Infocore model does make them favourites to win. We're giving them a 48% chance of, uh, of getting the three points at Craven Cottage, which obviously is odds against. So yeah, for me, straight away, I'm, I'm looking at opposing Arsenal. I think that there are, um, you know, while, while it looks as though they're improving on the eye test, defensively especially, um, they're still conceding a load of good chances. And it's just a little bit of good fortune, some good goalkeeping um, that's basically putting them in, in positions to to get uh, results. And clinical finishing is the other thing that I'm, I'm worried about for Arsenal. I'm not too sure that that's a sustainable way of playing. They created, like I said, under Arteta, 1.3 expected goals for per game. And that was one of the worst or one of the lowest totals in, in the Premier League in that time. So, yeah, I, I still have massive question marks around Arsenal. Obviously, they've, they've strengthened in, and brought in a few players. Uh, obviously, Willian, who I think will be a decent signing. Um, obviously, he's aging and he's on a long contract. So that doesn't really make too much sense. But in the in the short term, I think he'll be a decent signing. And they brought in about four centre-halves. And I think they've already got about 12 on the books. So, um yeah, I'm. I'm not too. I'm not too. Um, you know, excited about this Arsenal team. I think it's going to be more of the same. They're going to play. Um, you know, in a defensive manner against the better teams. But I'm really interested to see how they'll they'll cope in trying to break down. Um, you know, a team that will be sat in and, and trying to defend against them, which Fulham. I'm, I'm expecting Fulham to do. Uh, you know, I think the last time we saw that was against Aston Villa, where they went to Villa Park on maybe a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, and Villa just parked the bus really, and, and Arsenal really struggled to create chances. Um, expecting something similar, Fulham themselves. Um, I mean, they weren't overly impressive in the Championship last season. We had them seventh in our expected goals table in the Championship. They were uh, far behind the, the likes of West Brom and Leeds in terms of underlying process, but they did improve defensively towards the back end of last season. Notably with the inclusion of Michael Hector, who was signed from Chelsea in the summer, but wasn't allowed to play until January. Um, and it was when in January that they started tightening up defensively and looking a little bit more solid. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what we're going to get from both of these sides. I think Fulham, they have got you know, a hugely capable squad, obviously led by Alexander Mitrovic up front, who's an absolute handful. Um, so interested to see what we're going to get from Fulham um, and obviously from Arsenal who do have to improve greatly this season if they're to uh, better their, their finish last season, which was eighth. So, um, yeah, I think just at the prices, it's, it's purely a, pri- a price play. Obviously, um, you know, we're expecting Arsenal to win, but at those prices, have to oppose them, whether that's by, by laying uh, the Gunners or by taking Fulham or the draw, uh, which is a huge price at the moment, uh, around 2.4. So, um, yeah, for me, that's the major play. In terms of the goals market, we're actually siding with the unders. Like I said, I'm not expecting Arsenal to be free-flowing attacking side. They haven't been that for uh, you know two or three years. Um, and against a, a you know a low block, which I'm expecting Fulham to play, I don't think there'll be too many goals in this. 50% chance of the under 2.5. Uh, the market's around 44%. So there's good value in uh, in backing the unders. Um, and you know, in terms of both teams to score, the model's pretty much bang in line with the market. So for me, like I said. 
the main play from a value perspective is, is to get Fulham on side with um, either a double chance or, or by laying Arsenal. I think the the big question mark over Fulham is obviously that well the transition from the Championship to the the Premier League they've they've certainly attempted before and it hasn't really gone too well for them. I think it was is it seventeen eighteen they were last in the Premier League with the it was like Huddersfield and, and Cardiff wasn't it they went down and they. I mean, it was a, a woeful display in that season. As you said, not the the greatest of seasons last year, despite managing to get promotion. Scott Parker kind of gets a lot, a lot of plaudits. And I think we see that a lot with these these young managers that, that used to be at the clubs they're managing and stuff like that. So what is it from them? What do they do differently this time around to give themselves a, a good chance of, like you said, maybe drawing games like this or, or staying in games like this and then more importantly, beating the teams that are in and around them to, to give them a chance of staying up? Um, well, I think one of the main things that's going to prove key is, if you remember last time they came up, they spent about $120 million on about 12 players. So just completely revamped the squad and the team that, that had you know found a togetherness and had dragged Fulham up through the playoffs, through a uh, you know, late season running the championship. It was almost um, not picked apart, but it was sliced sliced and, and left on the bench and different players were coming in and there, there was no continuity whereas this time around they've been a little bit um you know less flashy in the signings that, that they've made they've a couple of lone players the likes of knockout and harrison reed from the last season have been made permanent so you've got that continuity um and they've made a couple of interesting signings i mean i like the i like mario lamina who's, who's been brought in um on loan i think he's a, he's a good player that hasn't been given the right chance to shine in england just yet but they have, you know, they've made a couple of decent signings, but not gone too overboard. And I think that that probably, um, you know, that caught them out last season. They, you know, they, they signed big name players um, that, that came in with big reputations. But uh, at the end of the day, they, you know, the squad that got them there was sort of forgotten about. And um, that doesn't do morale any good whatsoever. And like I said, I think continuity when you're coming up from the Championship to the Premier League is key. You look at the successful teams like... Uh, Wolves and Sheffield United—they've had it pretty much the same squads from League One, uh, from Championship to the Premier League, played in exactly the same manner. Um, and I think Fulham just have to do that because, in my opinion, the gap from the the top of the Championship to the bottom of the Premier League isn't that great anymore. Um, I think that the teams are, um, you know, they have big budgets now in the Championship and they can compete. So, um, just trusting what they've done and 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 you know, trusting the players that got you there. And, and I think they will they'll cause a few problems um, for teams this season. But ultimately, we, as we spoke about in the season preview pod, we we are expecting um, Fulham to to be relegated. But I think that they can they can you know get a decent result in the first game back this weekend. Right. So next we have Crystal Palace versus versus Southampton, and I don't think this one's going to jump out to most people, but it's one I'm I'm particularly interested in. Southampton were much the better of the two sides out of these two last season. They they should have finished higher than their final position. They were in the bottom half, just eleventh, I think it was. Um, Crystal Palace, they should have finished a lot lower than fourteenth wherever they finished, but they were they were quite fortunate in the end. The problems for them probably didn't really come as a surprise. They they did manage. They were up within kind of six seventh for for the early part of the season, but they've been pretty poor in terms of creating chances for for quite a while. Um, and when you look at the figures from last season, only Norwich put up a worse expected goals total than them last season. Palace's 39.2 equates to just over one XG per game, which is, I mean, it's pitiful, to be honest. Um, but Southampton, on the other hand, they were they were really impressive at both ends of the pitch. 
Danny Ings obviously grabbed the headlines with his 21-22 goals. But we we mentioned quite a bit on the pod that it was their balance that was really their greatest strength. Um, I know you said you expected Southampton to have a good season this time around. They are favourites on the road here at 2.51, which is a 39% chance to win. Palace have odds of 3.05, which equates to a 32% chance for them. Uh, the draw is also pretty close to the Palace odds at 3.28. Uh, a low total as well, 2 and 2.5. It's it's bang on 50-50 at the moment in the market. Southampton, the deserved favourites, but I guess the question is, are they worth the 2.51 in the market? Um, this is a, a quite an intriguing game, really, because if you're going off results and form from the back end of last season, you would have to say that, that Southampton at that price, at 2.5, is a huge value bet. But... Um, you know, I'm willing to give Crystal Palace a bit of a reprieve. Uh, I know that they lost seven of the last eight, obviously drawing with Spurs to end a, a seven-match losing run. But if you look at the results, um, you know, sorry, the opponents that they played, six of those eight matches came against teams that finished in the top seven of the Premier League, which um, you know is it suggests that they had a really tough schedule. There's only out of the last six matches, there was only a game against Aston Villa, who are obviously fighting for their lives, that they probably would have expected to get something from. They played Leicester away, Chelsea at home, Man United at home, Wolves away um, and Spurs at home. So um, I think people pointing to Crystal Palace's back, um, form at the back end of last season and saying that they, they should be relegation candidates uh, perhaps need to dig a little bit deeper into the people that they were playing and obviously the predicament that they were in, that they were already pretty much safe and had the slippers on. So... Um, I'm, I'm willing to give them a little bit of a, of a reprieve and, and you know not hammer them too much for that. Um, and obviously the same goes for Southampton, who finished like an absolute house on fire. They looked um, probably one of the fittest teams in the Premier League. Uh, Ralph Harson, who had really got his team um, raring to go from post-break. He picked up some really eye-catching results, obviously, the wins against Manchester City, draw at, at Manchester United. Um, but again, I'm not getting too carried away because it, back back end of the season they weren't playing for anything. They were, you know, playing with real freedom and uh, you know go out and it, it, literally just enjoy themselves is what Southampton were doing. And they were playing against teams who had not much to play for themselves, the likes of Sheffield United and Everton, um, Brighton. So um, I'm not going to draw too much or too many conclusions from that. Um, so all of a sudden we start to look at that 2.5 and, and it does probably look a bit more of a fair price than um, you know than the value price. As for Infogol, we've actually got this one as, as a pick and We've got Palace at 36% chance of a win, Southampton is at 36% chance of a win and a 28% chance of the draw. So we can't split these two teams um, in terms of, give, you know, including Crystal Palace's home advantage. So um, it's an intriguing game. Um, obviously the head says Southampton to win, just given um, the way that they finish because... Although they, they picked up a lot of good results, their expected goals process throughout that time was actually really eye-catching as well. Um, in fact, since January, they've been one of the better teams in the league. I think they sat sixth or seventh in our XG table from January onwards. So there is a lot to like about Southampton who are trending in the right direction. But um, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to write off Crystal Palace just yet. I mean, you mentioned the attacking issues that they have had. It looks as though they're going some way to correcting those by trying to bring in some more young, exciting, fresh legs. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's definitely going to improve them. But especially if you look at the home form last season, they were a tough team to beat. They lost only eight of 19 home games. Um, and their expected goals process in that time um, was actually, I think, around, around, around about mid-table or, or bottom half of the table, minus four expected goal difference over the course of the season at Selhurst Park. So, 
tight games, you know, is what we expect to see at Crystal Palace. Um, 21.4 expected goals for in the 19 home matches, 25 expected goals against in in that time. So uh, I'm not expecting too much goal mouth action. I think Roy Hodgson will have stuck to his guns and be playing a, um, you know, what many fans will perceive as, as negative football. And I think that that's going to make it really difficult for Southampton. Obviously, Southampton will be playing with a high press. There's every chance that Crystal Palace could catch Southampton out um, if they commit too many bodies forward with obviously the, the pace that they have um, in forward areas with Ayu and Zahar and obviously Eze now. So, um, you know, I think from a value perspective, I, I, w- I would potentially um, be willing to take a, a little bet on Crystal Palace or the draw uh, just at the, at the prices. I think that's where the value is. Um, in terms of both teams to score, 51% chance of, of, of yes and, and 50% chance of no on the market. So um small value in backing both teams to score. But I could see a, I could see this being a, a you know a KG one one or something along those lines, which we, we have seen a lot of from Crystal Palace. Um alternatively, given the way that Southampton played away from home last season, if they can continue um you know playing in the same manner, I think they they finished the season as the third best away team based on um points collected 31 points from 19 games and and you know they their away matches saw plenty of chances at both ends so over two and a half could be in with the shout um it's a big price around 2.2 we're giving it around a 45 percent chance of, of, of over 2.5 goals landing the market's at 42 percent so over two and a half a you know squeak of value but for me i, I would potentially just Given it's early season, we're not too sure what to expect from these two teams. I would tentatively put Crystal Palace forward as a um, you know as a double chance bet. Right, so now we've got West Ham versus Newcastle. Um, I'm not sure you can have a relegation six-pointer in the first game of the season, but <laughs> we, we have got two relegation contenders here. Um, West Ham haven't really done much transfer business, but Thomas Suchek, was, he was an important player for them at the end of last season. I think... If they can replicate that end of season form with Mikel Antonio up front, I don't think they're going to be too worried about the drop. But preseason hasn't looked great. Obviously, if we look over the 38 games and stretching back to the season before it, it hasn't been good for West Ham. So only time will tell in that respect. Newcastle, on the other hand, they've they've actually been pretty active. Uh, Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson have joined. Uh, Jamal Lewis looks likely. Seems like shrewd business, but they. I mean, they certainly needed to strengthen. They they were the worst team in the league, according to expected goals last season. They created very little going forward. They always looked pretty open at the back. However, I think to to give them some credit, a lot of that was weighted to not necessarily the early part of the season, but kind of two-thirds in maybe. And they did turn things around a little bit towards the end in terms of their performances. I think you'd probably expect a, a pretty even split here with maybe West Ham just edging it and... The market is going that way, a little bit more in favour of West Ham. You can get 2.19 for the home win, 3.40 for the away win, and, and the draw is 3.58. Uh, total is set at the, the average of 2.5, and, and all the money is for the under at the moment. Are you looking at the totals on this one, or is there is there something in the 1x2, or or maybe it's just a, a general stay away for you and, and the InfoGoal model? Um, well... I looked at this yesterday, this match, um, and West Ham were priced up pretty much in line with our InfoGoal model at around a 47% chance. But since Newcastle's signings of Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser have gone through, there's actually been a bit of money for Newcastle. So all of a sudden, you've got value price of, of West Ham, which I'm sure you'll be pleased to hear. Um, we're giving them a 47% chance. Uh, you can now back West Ham, I think, around 43% on the market. So 
there's a decent little bit of value there in, in backing the Hammers. And obviously, you know, you mentioned it there, Newcastle were really poor last season according to our XG model. Uh, they weren't too much better post-break when they were playing a bit more attack-minded football. They sat 16th in, in our XG table post-break, um, whereas West Ham were were up in, in sixth. So they really impressed us after the break, did West Ham, um, really improved their attacking numbers quite considerably. Uh, 1.73 expected goals for per game um, after the enforced break. Defensively, they reduced the XGA per game from around 2 to 1.28. So they really did show signs of improvement. Um, you know, I think David Moyes worked very hard um, during the hiatus to um, make his West Ham team a little bit more solid and, and also try and get them creating more. And I think the the, you know, the inclusion of Mikel Antonio as, a, as an out-and-out number nine definitely helped with that. He's you know all-action forward. He can do pretty much anything. Uh, he found his scoring touch towards the back end of last season, and I think that he's going to be a crucial player once again for West Ham this time around. And I know been, they've had a few issues um, at home at West Ham since they moved to the Olympic Stadium. But you know if you take the, their five uh, home matches after the break, their process during that time was pretty solid. I mean, seventh in our expected goals table. So, positives to take for West Ham um, over the course of the season. Obviously, they weren't great, but they finished with a flourish. And, um, you know, I know I know that you can't read too much into it. They were playing against teams that didn't have too much to play for. Um, but they also had quite a few big six-pointers in there that they hammered Norwich and obviously beat Watford quite comfortably as well. So, um, like I said, good positives to take. And um, as for Newcastle, I do like the signings. I think Callum Wilson um, is a good player at this level. He did struggle to score goals though for Bournemouth last season in a, in a team that weren't creating too many chances. And if Newcastle continue to play the same manner as they did last season, then they will also struggle to create chances for him. Um, uh, Ryan Fraser, another player that, that really impressed at Bournemouth over the last three or four years. He's expected assists. Uh, per average match were always really high. I think he was around 0.3 or 0.4 last season. So, um, you know, he, he'll be fresh and ready to go, having um, decided not to play for Bournemouth during the final nine matches. But it, it, all of Newcastle's season basically depends on the approach that Steve Bruce takes. Because if he continues to play a defensive manner, then, um, you know, I have a strong feeling that they will end up in a relegation battle. But there was a five or six, maybe even seven game spell where Newcastle did play a more attack-minded um, style of football and, and they did actually start creating good chances and getting decent results. So um, they've got the players there to be a dangerous team and, and potentially crack the top half. But um, you know, I'm, I'm not too sold on the manager just yet and, and I'm really interested to see what approach he takes. But at the prices, I think there, there's really good value in backing West Ham to get, um, to get a home win here. As for the goal market... Um, overs is you know is favoured fifty percent, but the the market's actually going with the unders. Uh, sorry, the model's going with the unders at fifty four percent. So under two point five goals is a value play. I think that is partly down to the fact that Newcastle are uh, you know quite defensive minded and aren't expected to create too much of their own. Um, and backing against both teams to score is also uh, you know a, a value selection. Just looking at away form from last season, Newcastle were pretty terrible. Five wins in the 19. Um, they lost 11 of those. They created less than one expected goal per game on the road while allowing nearly two expected goals against per game. So not a very good travelling side. And, and, you know, I think West Ham at the prices are definitely a bet that I'm willing to put forward. 
Right, let's get on to Liverpool versus Leeds, and this is this is Pinnacle's highlight game, Jake. So no no pressure on your your value play for this one. It's things are going to get interesting, I think. But um, Premier League champions taking on the Championship champions doesn't really get much better than that for the opening day. Um, Leeds not didn't win it quite as comfortably as Liverpool in them, but they they were streets ahead of anyone else last season. Uh, they were actually the best team in the league the season before that as well. Before they had that that crumble and, and didn't get promoted. It's going to be a real test for them. Um, but they've, they have certainly developed under Bielsa. They, they deserve to be back in the Premier League. All you have to do is, is look at the odds though, to see how kind of far apart these two teams might be. Leeds at 10.33, going to be a difficult first game back for them. Just a 9% chance of winning the game. Liverpool start the season at home. They will have it down as a as a comfortable game. Hopefully, they they also start very short at one point two eight one, so an over seventy five percent chance of the win for them. The total is at three, um, and the over is the 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 favour on that one. However, the pinnacle prediction for this game is to take the under at two point zero six. So over to you, Jake. What's the the info goal play on this one, and and why? Um, yeah, th- this is a really tough game um, to to find value from our perspective. I mean. We've got all of the markets pretty tightly priced up compared to um, you know the market, and I think it, it's going to be a really good test for Liverpool. Um, I think Leeds. Uh, if you remember to the first game of last season, Liverpool played Norwich, um, who were obviously Championship champions, um, and Liverpool were slow to get going. Norwich created a couple of early chances before Liverpool completely blitzed them. This Leeds team is better than that Norwich team by quite a way, based on. Um, expected goal performances in the championship. So this is going to be a much tougher test than that. I think that Leeds will be well organised. They'll be hard to break down. Uh, they'll play with a high press that that could disturb Liverpool's build-up play. Um, and they have added some quality as well. I mean, that the sign of Rodrigo Moreno, the Spanish international striker, is a massive upgrade on Patrick Bamford. Um, very similar kind of players in the sense that they're quite unselfish and they run channels. They um, get themselves in good scoring positions quite regularly. So um, that's a really interesting signing for Leeds and I think it's a very positive one. So, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see, as a Sheffield Wednesday fan, obviously not excited to see Leeds back in the Premiership, but I'm excited to see what they'll bring because I think that Marcelo Bielsa is a fantastic coach that uh, that does deserve to, to play his trade at the top level. So, um, yeah, interesting this game. I think from our perspective, we've got to agree with you in the sense that the, the, the unders is definitely... Um, a, a play that we're looking at. Uh, did you say under three goals there? That's the one, yeah. Under three goals at 2.06, I think the price is at the moment. Yeah, I think we're going to have to agree with that. The, we've we've got the overs. There's no, there's, there's no rule book, so we can <laughs> we can take the same pick. Hopefully, as the season goes on, there'll be some different ones. But yeah, if that's what you want to go for, that's that's absolutely fine. Yeah, so we're, we're Liverpool, we're giving them a 73% chance of winning. The market's at 75%. Um, the both teams to score, we're at forty nine percent. Both teams to score, yes. The market's at fifty percent, um, and the over two point five, we're at sixty two percent chance, and the market's at sixty four. So there is a small amount of value in opposing the overs, um, which I think that you know what you said there. The over three at two point zero six is a really sensible play. I can't see this being too high scoring. I think that this might be a, another trademark Liverpool narrow victory. Yeah, and what we'll do is with the selections, we'll we'll publish everything on on Twitter and and keep a running record. And we may well, depending on who's winning, we may well refer back to it more more often or not, um, depending on how things go. 
Um, but what we'll do is we'll move on to West Brom versus Leicester. Um, the third of the newly promoted teams um, obviously host Leicester in their their first game, and it's our, our first Sunday game of the new Premier League season. I think a lot of people in the the analytics community will say Brentford should be playing in the Premier League um, as opposed to West Brom. Um, and West Brom maybe should have gone through the playoffs, but that's that's not how things worked out. Um, along with Norwich, West Ham, are, West Ham, West Brom are, are one of those real yo-yo clubs, um, and they they really have a job on their hands to stay up this season. Starting pretty tough with with Leicester, who, I mean, last year the the way they started the season was was quite incredible. I think right up until Christmas, people were talking about them being in the title race. I I do remember very vividly asking you on the the podcast I had to ask you and you you kind of laughed it off um and and credit there but I don't think anyone really saw the drop in form that that came in the new year it was 12 wins in their first 16 games and then just six wins in their next 22 um obviously then ended out with with them missing out on the Champions League they're now kind of starting the season in a bit of a downward spiral um they've lost Ben Chilwell to Chelsea um, has been replaced by Castagna, but I mean, maybe there won't be too much of a drop there. I don't think it will have too big an impact, but everyone around them seems to have strengthened and not just replaced players. It's it's difficult to see them going anywhere but kind of down the table. Obviously, not all doom and gloom for them. They they do start this game as favourites and, and could likely start their season with a win. Uh, 49% chance according to odds of 2.04. So they're, they're just shy of odds on. Uh, West Brom are 3.85, so you can get a 25% chance of the win for them. And, and that then leaves the the 26% for the draw at 3.60. So what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is another really tough game to sort of um, decide anything upon, really. Because like you said there, Leicester finished the season terribly. West Brom in the Championship didn't finish the season very strongly. They sort of scraped over the line for automatic promotion. But again, just similar to the Fulham Arsenal game, just purely as a price player, I do think Leicester are a little bit too short. Um, you know, you're getting them at odds on away at West Brom, and you know they, they've not won away from home in the Premier League the last three matches. At um, Spurs, they lost. Bournemouth, they lost badly, and and away at Arsenal, they drew. So um, they weren't the best travellers towards the back end of the season. Uh, their drop off in form was, uh, like you said, something that. We weren't expecting to see it at all. Um, I think we, you know, I said that there wouldn't be anywhere near a title challenge. That proves to be right. But heading in uh, into the the post break fixtures, we give Leicester a ninety percent chance of finishing in the top four. So they literally well and truly blew it. Um, and I think that that is definitely going to play on the psyche um, heading into this new season. Huge disappointment, really, having been in the in the Champions League places for pretty much the majority of the campaign, and, and to, to be knocked out over the last two matches was um, you know it's going to be hard for them to take it was in their own hands uh, the, the the sale of Chilwell I, I don't think it's too too going to have too big an impact really I think uh, Castagna is a, a decent player I think he'll fill that gap um, quite well I think the, the big missing player is is definitely Pereira the right fullback who's who's out injured I'm not sure if he'll be back for this game but um, he's he's a big big player for them they've got the predominantly same squad as, as what played last season and, and they ranked sixth in our expected goals table over the course of the season. So they're, you know, they're good side. We're expecting them to be in the top half again, but not be pushing as, as, as high as they did. Um, but yeah, it, the second half of the season, it did seem as though teams had found them out and um, you know, they, they were, they were so good in that first half of the season. 
sat second um, at the halfway stage, a couple of points clear of Manchester City and, um, you know, for whatever reason, it all just came tumbling down. And I think that Rodgers is going to have to change tack a little bit and maybe come up with some new ideas because they were very easy to play against towards the back end of last season. Um, you know, the only real highlights were, were was the home form at the back end of the season where they were really impressive and in getting results. As for West Brom, um, I mean, they, they did finish third in our expected goals table for the championship. Brentford were second, as you mentioned. But if you're comparing West Brom to the likes of Fulham, um, they were by far and away better than uh, than Scott Parker's side. Fulham had an expected goal difference last season of, of plus 6.1. West Brom's was plus 22.6. So just highlighting how dominant they were in comparison to Fulham. Um, high quality squad still at West Brom. They've still got the majority of the players that they went down with. They've improved upon that as well. They've made a couple of signings permanent. Obviously, Grady Diangana is, is one that's been in the news quite a lot. Um, a lot of West Ham fans really disappointed that he's been let go. Um, and, and I do think that they'll, you know, that they'll be a difficult team to play against. They're obviously, coached by Slavon Bilic, who, who's been here and, and done that before in the, in the Premier League. He's very experienced, uh, and I can see them causing real problems for for Leicester in this game, and, and definitely not making life easy for them. Uh, at home last season in the Championship, West Brom were really good in terms of not losing matches. They only lost three times in 23. So the Hawthorns is going to be a tricky place to go this time around. And um, yeah, I, I think that at the prices, I'd be willing to take Leicester on. I think that, that odds on prices is a little bit too short for me. And, uh, and we're giving Leicester just a 43% chance of winning compared to 48% on the market. So um, get opposing Leicester is, is the main value play. But uh, I'd also very tempted to oppose goals. Um, the model's given a 57% chance of under 2.5 goals. The market's pretty much split over and under 50% uh, for the over 2.5. So you've got a decent margin of value there. Uh, and the same with the both teams to score. Both teams to score, yes, is at 49% on the model, 55% on the market. So opposing both teams to score um, is, is another value play. But for me, I do like the West Brom or draw angle. Um, and I do think that under 2.5 um, it is probably going to be the most likely outcome given um, we're expecting quite a tight match. Yes, it's quite interesting to try and work out actually what went wrong with, with Leicester last season. You kind of mentioned there about being found out and players working out how Rodgers set them up and, and played the game. I think that's that's clearly what happened from that title-winning campaign where they came in the next season. It seemed like everyone knew exactly how you go and beat Leicester. And we touched on it briefly with the likes of like Liverpool and, and Manchester City. You kind of know how they win the games or what they do like with, with Liverpool limiting the, the quality of chances or, or shots that their, their opponents are able to create. And I think at that level, there's not a lot people can do to try and break them down. So do you think, do you think it was a case of that, that just teams throughout the season and, and likely this season know how to play against Leicester and that then puts pressure on, on someone like Rogers to, to change things up and, and approach the game a different way? Or, or do they think the quality will shine through and, just kind of be consistent with their approach? I mean, Leicester aren't going to be anywhere near a relegation fight. So I think the quality will lift them um, well clear of that. But um, I think the just towards the back end of the season, they had a couple of injury knocks that sort of slowed momentum. Wilfred Ndidi was out missing for quite a while. And then obviously Pereira, um, the right fullback, got injured. Chilwell was out injured. Madison was injured towards the back end of the season as well. So they were missing key players. 
I think having those back in um, will undoubtedly make them better. I think I think Rogers sort of knew that they'd been found out. If you remember towards the back end of the season, where he he started tinkering with a back three, um, and it's not something that we saw from Leicester the whole season prior to that point. Uh, and he was playing a back three with Wes Morgan, um, Ryan Bennett, and Johnny Evans, which neither of those three are the, are the most mobile. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think having those injured players back fit will obviously provide him with more options. But yeah, he basically just needs to be a little bit more flexible with with um, his his lineups and um, and if you think that they always play, apart from that little spell where they played a back three, it was always a consistent uh, back four with Vardy up top and and one player off him. Uh, mix it up a little bit, give you know other teams something to think about. Um, and just try and keep managers guessing, really. It was a similar situation for Sheffield United as well towards the back end of the season where uh, their style of play, they struggled to get results against teams that were lower down in the table because their style of play really, although they do move the ball very well, it does it, it's most effective when teams attack them. So uh, we saw that with Chelsea when they went to Bramall Lane. We saw that with Tottenham when they went to Bramall Lane. They, they, both those teams had a go and Sheffield United just sort of picked them off. Whereas they really struggled against teams that did sort of sit back and um and, and let them try and break them down. So uh you've always got to keep tinkering and keep trying to improve. I think Pep Guardiola sometimes get criticized for that for overthinking, but um that's how you stay one step in front of everyone else. Right, we'll move on to Tottenham versus Everton. I think if you rewind twelve months or so, we were probably talking about whether Everton have what it takes to to mount a challenge to Tottenham and the rest of the top four. As it happens, Tottenham were in the midst of a, a pretty catastrophic collapse and, and Everton couldn't even make the top half of the table. So not sure what went on there. Um, but a lot, has, a lot has changed since then. Obviously, during the season, the, we had a shift in managers for both teams. Performances didn't really look great under Mourinho for Tottenham. They were they were terrible before that anyway. But he got them winning, and they they somehow I still don't really know how it happened, but they managed to get to sixth in the table in the end. Um, Everton brought in an Ancelotti last season, and performances did really tick up initially. I know you were very impressed with them, but then some for some reason when they came back after the the lockdown, they looked they looked like the team at the start of the season were really kind of struggling again and. I'd only glossed over the markets initially, but I had a look at them before we started recording. I even messaged you because I think that the Tottenham price for me was the one that jumped out the most. They're, they're odds on at 1.847, Everton pretty high at 4.48. The overlook's pretty balanced at 2.5, but I'm just scratching my head at those 1x2 odds. Is there is there anything in the InfoGold model that suggests, well, are they are they right? Is there an obvious play on Everton here? I mean, I'd be very surprised if you now turn around and tell me Tottenham are the value play, but but what do you think is going on here? Yeah, I'm not going to say Tottenham are the value now. Um, similar with the Arsenal-Fulham um, game, where we obviously have Arsenal's favourites, but the bookmakers have them so strong that um, it, you know there's no value there. And that's the same case. We've got we've got Spurs as 48% favourites to win at home. Um which I think is a fair price, odds against. But the fact that they are odds on is, for me, a little bit questionable. And I'd be more than happy to take them on. I think these two <laughs> played one of the dullest um, matches of the Premier League season, I think about six games ago. So, um, you know, I think there was about, I think we finished 1-0 to Tottenham. There was about 1.1 1, expected goals between the pair. Um, you know, any other day that would have finished 0-0. So... More than happy to again take Tottenham on. I, 
I don't see why they should be odds on that they finished the season strongly um, in terms of results, but the process throughout um, ever since Jose Mourinho joined this club, the club was has been pretty poor. I think he, he took over in November. Uh, based on expected goals, they sat 10th in our expected goals table um, since his appointment. Uh, and the process has been negative as well. 1.4 expected goals for 1.5 expected goals against per game. So they really do need to improve drastically. Um, they benefited from some very clinical finishing towards the back end of last season um, and some <laughs> wasteful finishing from their opponents as well. So obviously that I mentioned that game against Everton where they, they racked up next to nothing and, and scored a, a deflected goal against Bournemouth. They created next to nothing and, and you know should have really lost that game. Um, away at Newcastle, they scored three times from 1.67 expected goals. At home to Leicester, three times from 0.83 expected goals. Uh, and away at Palace, they scored once from 0.33 expected goals. So this is a team that aren't really creating too much. They're heavily reliant on clinical finishing to get them the points. And, and that isn't really a sustainable way of playing. Defensively, they've still got major issues. I know they've signed uh, Matt Doherty at right back. And he probably is a much more solid defender than Serge Aurier. But... Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's a, a, a life-changing signing for Tottenham. The same with the Hoiberg signing. I think there's much more needs to be done for that Tottenham team in, 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 to make them anywhere near challenges for the top four spot. So, yeah, all in all, very surprised at the prices. I think you hit the nail on the head, really, with everything you said about Everton. Carlo Ancelotti came in. Their process improved drastically. They were averaging around two expected goals per game under the first 10-11 matches of his tenure. Um, and then they came back post-break and it looked like they were still on holiday. They The process really took a, a nosedive and, and they were performing like a, a bottom-half team post-break uh, as opposed to a top-six team pre-break. So really interesting to see what Everton we get um, this season. Obviously, they, they've signed a couple of high-profile players. Alan from Napoli, who's a, a good holding midfield player. James Rodriguez, who's obviously a big-name um, international player. He used to play for Real Madrid, won pretty much everything at Real Madrid. It'll be interesting to see how he fits into the team. Um, and obviously, the other one is Abdullah Dekore, who they're hoping to get across the line. I think all three of those are, are, are sort of fill a problem area for Everton, which is central midfield. So, if anything, they're improving. Um, I think that having this little break and, and refresher period will help Everton. I think that the players, the young players, like Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin, are going to be a year older, a year more experienced. Um, and they could do some damage this season um, with the team that they've got. So, yeah, it's exciting times at Everton, but they really need to perform like the Everton um, of the first 10 games of Ancelotti's tenure and not the last 10. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. I just hope we don't get a, a dull 1-0 like we did last time um, after we gave it that game quite a, a big billing. So, yeah, opposing Spurs, for me, it is a decent value play. He said the overs is pretty much split down the middle. We've got the same on, on the model um, and the both teams to score were pretty much identical as well. A 53% chance of, of both teams to score, yes. Uh, uh, exactly the same as the market. So main value play is opposing Spurs. I think just at that price, that you've got to get after them. Right, so next up we've got Brighton versus Chelsea. Another interesting game for the opening round of fixtures. This is one of our two Monday games. Uh, Brighton were, were in that relegation scrap for a lot of last season, but I think anyone looking at the underlying numbers would have would have had faith that, that they'd have enough to avoid relegation. Obviously, they did. Um, they look a lot better under Graham Potter compared to Chris Hewton, but I think the the difficult thing now is is it's matching up the results, the performances, and and then trying to take them to the next stage where they're 
they're away from that cluster of teams down the bottom and, and maybe this is the season that they do it. Chelsea just about clung on to the top four spot, but that was more than they deserved. Um, well, they deserved more than that, I should say, sorry. Some some definite caveats with this statement, but they were actually pretty close to Liverpool in terms of their underlying process over the 38-game season. Um, they have obviously identified areas of improvement that need addressing and that they've gone out and done that and spent quite a bit of money to try and improve. How quickly the team gels is is obviously another matter, but it's it's going to be a real interesting one to watch because they, they seem to have gone out for for bridging that gap between third, fourth and, and first and second with City and, City and Liverpool kind of running away with things. But the transfers have, have seemingly played their part in the market. I think it was earlier you said about Newcastle and we've, we've certainly seen that here because betters have bought into Chelsea pretty heavily. Um, they're now 1.671, so nearly 58% chance of the win. Brighton a 5.09, um, giving them a 20% chance of getting those three points. And the total of 2.5 and 3 suggests that the market's expecting goals, but not really enough to just bump it up to three at the moment. So money coming in on the over there. Do you think there's any value on offer in this one in, in the available markets? Yeah, I think that Chelsea are probably a little bit too short at the prices. So I'd be happy to take them on. I think Brighton are a very underrated side. Um, obviously, the, the results towards the back end of last season were pretty good post-break. They did plenty enough to steer well clear of relegation. Um, but many people will probably think back to that little nine or ten game winless spell that they had um, post-January where um, where their performances were exceptional but they just weren't getting the results and um, you know if they continue performing at the same manner as they did last season they'll be comfortably safe again this time around. I think Graham Potter deserves a lot of credit for what he's done there, completely re- rejuvenated the team and, and brought in new players and obviously brought in a new style of play. They're much better to watch and uh, much more attack-minded and I think that that really is a breath of fresh air um, for the Premier League and, and you know if they continue playing the same way that they, that they are doing like I said they'll stay up pretty comfortably and they'll take a few scalps on the way um, I think it was only last February that Bryson drew 2-2 with Chelsea and uh, in a game that they should have won according to expected goals so they'll not be frightened of, the, of this Chelsea team and it is a new look Chelsea team but they won't be frightened at all and um, you know, many people probably point to Brighton's home form last season, just five wins from 19. Uh, but according to the expected goals, uh, expected goal difference, they were actually the 12th best home team in the league. So as opposed to the fourth worst. Uh, yeah, I, I really like Brighton as a team. Um, I really like what they're doing there. Um, and I think that they can cause some real problems for Chelsea. Uh, really impressed, though, with Chelsea's signings. I, I think that the, the acquisitions of Werner and Havertz in particular will be um, really, really key in taking them to the next level and, and bridging that gap. I think Werner is a very clinical finisher compared to the likes of Tammy Abraham, who scored I think, 14 goals from 19 expected goals. I think if you get Werner the same number of uh, of chances, he'd probably score at the very least 19 and probably get to 22 or 23. So he's going to be a really key acquisition. Big problem area still for me, though, is the goalkeeper. Um, and I think we spoke about it on the season preview pod. Kepa last season was ranked as one of the worst, if not the worst, goalkeeper in the Premier League based on on-target attempts faced. That is a massive problem area. Obviously, they've shored up the defence with Thiago Silva, a bit of experience, and, and Ben Chilwell is an improvement on, on Marcus Alonso and Emerson Palmieri. So, um, yeah, there's the massive positive signs for Chelsea. Um, but I still think they're a little bit too short and that Brighton are being undervalued here. Chelsea, away from home, if you remember last season, were... 
Um, you know, they were one of the better teams in terms of picking up points, 30 points from 19, the fourth best away record. But their XG process away from home was, um, you know, it's pretty tragic compared to the rest of the top four. Uh, 32.3 expected goals for, 30.7 expected goals against. So an expected goal difference of plus 1.6. Manchester United managed a, a plus 8.1 expected goal difference. Leicester managed a plus 10.2 expected goal difference away from home. And obviously Manchester City were better than everyone else at plus 27.6. But you can see there the gulf um, in, in terms of away performances is absolutely massive. I mean, even Everton had a better um, away process than Chelsea at plus two expected goal difference over their 19 away matches. So that is definitely an area that they need to improve on. Um, they conceded 38 goals away from home, an average of two goals per game. Which, um, you know, if, if you keep performing at that level, you're not going to get anywhere near the top uh, of the table. So there's improvements needed. I think they're still quite defensively vulnerable, but obviously they've increased the firepower. So um, I like both teams to score at the prices. Um, we've given them around a 53% chance. The market's at 53%. So there isn't value there, but that is definitely a bet that I do like in this game, given the uh, attack-minded approach of both teams. Um, but again, I'd be more than happy to oppose this new look Chelsea. And, and I think that a lot of people are saying Brighton haven't made too many signings. They need to make more. But at the end of the day, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. No. So Graham Potter has done a, a really good job last season. I think if they carry on the same, then um, you know I'm expecting another good season from them. Yeah, I think the, the latest from Chelsea is that Edouard Mendy, the, the goalkeeper from Rennes. Um, inside scoop as it as it always is on Twitter but they're still talking about Declan Rice um I guess the I don't want to kind of dwell on people that haven't actually signed yet so if we we look at um Werner and, and Havertz both come from the same league is there in terms of that transition how do you think that will work they've, they've been massively impressive obviously the, the the focal point for both of their teams and do you think that they'll they'll kind of work well together? They've obviously got Ziyech as well. You've got Pulisic. There's there's so much now going on at Chelsea. I know they need strength and depth for the Champions League and stuff like that, but is it almost too much, do you think, or is, is that nonsense? No, it's definitely a worry. Um, I mean, I think I, I made a joke out of it on the season preview podcast where they've literally got enough players to field almost three first-team 11s uh, and three very competitive first-team 11s. So... Um, it is. It's going to provide plenty of selection headaches for for Frank Lampard. I mean, even in, just in the middle of the park, you've got Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, Barkley, uh, Mason Mount. Now you've got Havertz in the mix. Um, you know, out wide, you've got Hudson Odoi, Ziyech. Werner could play out wide if he wants to play Abraham or Giroud down the middle. Um, it it really is going to be difficult for him to manage that squad because obviously most of those players that I've named in particular are all international players. They all want to play football. So it's going to be difficult for him to manage. But And it, it could also be a massive Achilles heel. Um, he could end up tinkering and, and not finding a consistent team that he likes, struggling to find the best 11, which, um, you know, if you look at the other teams, Manchester City, Liverpool, Manchester United, you could basically name their best 11 right now. Um, whereas for Chelsea, you can make a case for 15, 16, 17 players to be in the first 11. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, it's nice to have strength in depth, which they now have excellent strength in depth, but it could prove complicated um, towards the end of the season, um, especially if you know if you get people coming off the bench and having really, really impressive performances, uh, and then they're almost pushing for a start. And it can get a little bit awkward, but 
it's definitely going to be a test for Lampard. And what is he in his third season of management? It's going to be a test, but it's probably going to. Be, it's, it's a nice. It's a nice problem to have. Um, is to have quality and, and in depth, and, and obviously players pushing each other for starting berths. So Sheffield United versus Wolves is our it's our final fixture of game week one and two fan favourites, shall we say, from last year. I think a lot of neutrals kind of like these two teams. Sheffield United were actually in Champions League qualification conversation for a little bit, but ultimately they they, they obviously dropped away. Wolves, on the other hand, they, they looked like they could actually break that top four for long periods, but then that didn't quite happen as well. I, I personally can't remember a, a newly promoted team doing as well as Wolves have for, for back-to-back seasons. They were fifth, I think you mentioned it, in the, the outrights one. They were, was it fifth in expected goals for 2018-19 and then fifth in expected goals last year again? Um, they're clearly balanced. They're very consistent. They've, I, I mean, there's different opinions on this, I think. We said about Doherty being very well suited for their um, their style of play. He, You've got to have him down as a key pe- key player, but... I think it's the right decision to sell him at the price that they did, and they've obviously got good recruitment structure in place. They've got plenty of money to get to get a replacement in, so I think we're going to see a lot more strengthening from them in the coming weeks. Um, Sheffield United are obviously going to be hopeful for another strong season. Top half of the table for a newly promoted side is is obviously good going. It's it's where they deserve to be based on performances as well. Henderson was a was a real big player for them last season. He's now gone back to Manchester United. They've brought in Ramsdale from Bournemouth, who, I mean, whether he's quite at that level, I'm not too sure, but he's a decent keeper. Um, The defence in front of him is still going to do a good job. They actually also create a fair bit in front of goal, um, or they did last season, despite that reputation as a defensive side. Um, But they're they're really going to need to be at it at both ends of the pitch to have a chance against what is a... A, a very good Wolves side and a very reliant Wolves side in terms of uh, betters and whatnot. Um, they are the favourite Wolves at 2.42. Sheffield United available at 3.45 and the draw is 3.06. We've got the the lowest total on the board for this one at just two goals and that there isn't really much in terms of action with a, a slight lean to the over. Not sure that makes sense to me in terms of the total, but uh, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this one. So, so what are you thinking? Yeah, I think the the price on Wolves looks um, pretty big to me. Two point four is, um, I think that's definitely a bit of a value price. We're giving them a forty three percent chance of, of getting the win at Bramall Lane. Uh, the model there, so, uh, the market suggests around a forty one percent. So decent value, a um, little bit of value in, in backing Wolves to get the win. Obviously, their season was unceremoniously ended by severe in the Europa League, but to get all that way in the Europa League, the quarter final stage. Uh, I think they deserve a lot of credit, given the fact that they started the season pretty much um, exactly a year before they ended it. Um, it's a long campaign for a small squad, so um, the fact that Numno is building that squad now, they've brought, already brought a couple of players in, and they, they will I'm undoubtedly sure that they're going to bring in more players um, to strengthen what is a small squad. Um, and yeah, I think the, the consistency uh, and the continuity at the club is, is really really impressive and that's main re- the main reason why they, they're you know mixing it with the big boys fifth in, in the XG table for back-to-back seasons uh, obviously finished seventh in both of those seasons so they were unlucky not to finish higher um, and this time around we've got them as the fifth best team again no reason why not to the process has been so consistent over the over the last few years and uh, and obviously they've got no European football this time around so that should help them 
to uh, to kick on and uh, and actually break into that top six. So, yeah, really impressed with Wolves um, over a long period of time. And obviously, XG is is excellent when you're looking at um, over a, a long period of time. And what seventy six games is a huge sample size. And Wolves have been uh, right up there for for all you know that that entire period. So, I do think they're fair value, um, and a, I think they're definitely backable at that price. Sheffield United. Obviously, tailed off towards the back end of last season, and um, I, don't, I don't think they were helped by the stop. They were uh, at the breaking play. They were, you know, momentum's a word that's banded around, but they were playing with serious momentum. They were on a, a really good run. I think they'd lost one of ten or something like that in the Premier League, and uh, and they were winning games left and right. So, um, you know, they're a little bit hard done by potentially the fact that the season was was postponed, and and they were probably one of the teams that did get found out in that uh, in that little. Off season, uh, still came back with a couple of decent home results. Though obviously, you know they've beaten Spurs, they beat Wolves, they beat Chelsea. Um, so really strong team um, at Bramall Lane, and, and they shouldn't really be underestimated. But I do think that a well rested Wolves will have too much quality for them this time around. And, and like I said, the value for me is is with Wolves to win. Um, the goals market is yeah, is extremely low to say the least. Um, we're calculating a 60% chance of both teams to score no. So that is value. Uh, the market's at 55%. Decent value there in back in the both teams to score no. Uh, and the over 2.5, I mean, it's 66% under on the market and 60, uh, sorry, 66% under on the model, 64% under on the market. So although it is a short price, you are getting um, a bit of value there in, in back in the under 2.5. And if you wanted to go even lower, um, under 1.5 it is 36% on the market. The model's at 39%. So there is a small amount of value there in, in backing under 1.5 goals and um, getting a similar result to what we did last time these two sides met, which was 1-0. That just about does it. It's good to have you back. I, I can't wait for the uh, the weekend's action, Jake. Uh, great insight as always. So, so thanks for coming on and, and sharing some of the info from InfoGoal. Really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. Look forward to it next week as well. Hopefully we'll have ten full uh, full slate of 10 games. That's it. And we'll also have the first batch of results from our, our head-to-head challenge, which, as I said earlier, anyone <laughs> listening, you can you can find those on Twitter. They'll be available at Pinnacle. And, and I'm sure whether they're winning or losing, InfoGoal will we'll give that some, some communication as well. The InfoGoal app is available on iOS and Android, and they've, they've made several enhancements for the new season. So make sure you do go and give it a download, and you can look at all the data that we've discussed in more detail. You can also download the Pinnacle Live Scores app to follow the action in play, set yourself odds alerts and make sure that you're always getting the best price for live betting. All of the Premier League markets are available on Pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.